Nobody fucks in this movie. It's worth worth noting. If you were here for the fucks, you shit out of luck. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. Oh, we're here, Jamie. We are here, Sam. How are you? I'm good. I'm here. You're here. It's Final Transmission. What are we doing today? Today, we are talking about the 2013 British horror spooky church goings on, uh, The Borderlands, also known in the US as Final Prayer. Better title. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's a muchness. Uh, Borderlands makes no fucking sense. Final Prayer tells you everything you need to know. Okay. That's fine. Big up final prayer. I think, I mean, it's very fucking English, isn't it? Why uh, Why do you think they needed an alternative title for the US? The Borderlands, what, just doesn't cut it? I think the American, the Americas have a different interpretation of the border and the borderlands. That's a very good point. It, it's a loaded term. <laughs> yeah. So I reckon that's probably why they, they, they shifted the title a little bit. But yeah. I, I agree. I think final prayer is a good title. Yeah, uh, this, yeah, you're dragging up like, oh, it's going to be a Tommy Lee Jones and Barry Pepper movie, The Borderlands. Yeah. No, incorrect. Um, Would this be improved by Tommy Lee Jones and Barry Pepper? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it would. I would kill to see this remade with Tommy Lee Jones and Barry Pepper. (laughs) Already rewriting the movie two seconds into the podcast. Jamie? This is a 2013 movie, which is relatively modern for us. Uh, so I saw this at Grimfest in, I guess it must have been 2013. Maybe it was 2014. I'm not too sure. And it blew me away. A really good cinematic, like a cinema experience. Really enjoyed being in a room with other people. Um, I'm going to spoil this immediately, just so go you on. know. So if, if you haven't seen it, like go watch it and then come back. But I'm going to spoil it immediately. Like being in a in a room of five hundred people or whatever, as you descend into the anus of a giant worm god, it's like it's a unique experience. Yes, I can imagine. Was it? Did it feel like one of those simulator rides where the fucking the box moves like two inches either way, but your mind is completely blown out your ass? Yeah, yeah, totally. It was, it was, it was intense. Yeah, I bet. It's uh, it's crazy that you describe it that way because it's not really how I felt when I watched this film. Oh, really? <laughs> you you felt like you were in the bowels of a giant worm god. I I felt like I was just like people were just crawling around in a hole <laughs> for the most part. Sam, no. Don't worry, we can break it down. I'm not saying I didn't like it, but that was your experience. I watched this in my house this week and walked away with more questions than answers. So I'm well, glad we're doing it on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, I've got, I can answer all your questions. I'm, I know, who the fuck else am I going to ask these questions to? I think I would call myself a scholar of the Borderlands. Very interesting specialist subject from you. Yeah. To be honest, about 40 minutes of this, I was like, why does Jamie even like this? Doesn't even do any of the stuff that he likes. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Now I understand a little <laughs> bit more why Jamie likes this. I like everything about it, though. I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit, but I like, I think, I think it's, and it does a lot of things really well. A lot of things that other films do quite badly mm. that I would be like, okay, this is a turn off, but because it does it quite well. Yeah, it, it, it works for me quite a lot. Um, what a so wonderful this, tease. Yeah. This film uh, stars Gordon Kennedy, who you might know from 
The TV show, absolutely. The TV sketch oh, show. No. Uh, I'm going to say no to every single thing that you say if it involves me knowing anyone in this film before I watched it. So I will just shut up while you tell everyone who Gordon these Kennedy people are. Gordon is a very famous British guy. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. He's been in loads <laughs> gonna... of stuff. <laughs> he's not a very famous British guy. Yeah, Ian McKellen is. is a very famous British guy. Patrick okay. Stewart is a very famous British guy. You wouldn't fucking... Who is this? What's he done? It's a loads of stuff. Like I said, he was in Absolutely, which has one of my favourite sketches of all time, which is about a small town in Scotland uh, or making a bid for the for the Olympics to be held in their tiny town of Stony Bridge. And they make a video and it's like, Stony Bridge! With a Stony Bridge! That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> He's in loads of stuff. He looks like he might have been in the worst TV version of Robin Hood imaginable. Jonas yeah. Armstrong as the titular Robin Hood and Gordon Kennedy as Little John. It looks like a porno. Like a bad, bad porno. He's just uh, he's just one of those guys. He's been he's been there forever. He's been I'll agree. He is just one of those guys. Uh he plays Hudson in Red Dwarf, which yeah, as a Red Dwarf maniac, uh I would have thought I would know, but I guess it's what, maybe in a very late season where it No, no, it was it was in a very early season, I think. Oh, even better. Cool costume. Yeah, I, I like that he's got the sort of Crichton belly thing, but then... Yeah, he different. looks like uh, looks like a black Templar from uh, Warhammer 40k. Cool. Anyway, there goes another virginity. Uh, so, you like this guy? I like I like him. Uh, obviously, Robin Hill plays Grey. Not really an actor. I really rate his whole vibe. And then, well, the rounding out the cast is Adrian, Aidan McArdle, who... I guess they couldn't get Rishir Smith, so they got Aidan McArdle, who is great, but it's a very Rishir Smith character, I think. Right. Three guys I've never seen in my life. Three um, guys that you are a lifelong fan of. <laughs> I'm just a big fan of this movie, so... What's Robin Hill's deal, then? You say he's not an actor. What, what does he do? Uh, he's primarily an editor. Oh, okay. And this is speculation, but I think that he is this guy in real life. Yeah. And they were like, well, why would we cast an actor to be this guy when I know that guy? He's, he is, he's been in lots of stuff in quite small roles, but he is primarily not an actor and an editor. So I think that's, that's my, my, my thoughts on him. A long editing career. I'm guessing he didn't edit this movie. Uh, I don't think he did, no. Maybe he should have. Probably he's, busy. Got, he's quite a good editor for the look of things. I mean, yeah. asking someone to pull double G, it's not very fair. It's not. I think this film was a bit more, there was, there was more budget than was necessary to have someone pull double G shit, double G shit. Right. Do you think editing a film like this is a humongous job? It looks like it would have been a fucking pain in the ass. Yeah. I think editing any film is a humongous pain in the ass. But one that's shot on like deliberately low quality cameras with yeah. multiple like, Head cams, static placements, POV shots, POV like response shots, all that kind of stuff must be like a, an absolute minefield. If I was filming this, where I am not a director, I would try and almost like Blair Witch it, like try and film it all the way through, and then just like cut cut it together from that. But obviously, that's bullshit. It's insane. It's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> So this is the, the the peep show of horror movies. 
in almost every way imaginable. Tell me a little bit about why you love this film so much. Well, should we do a synopsis and then take a break? And then... Snops one off. Go on. Show us what I'll you tell got. you. So, um, a bunch of Vatican miracle... Debunkers. Yeah, investigators are a descend on a small church in a small town in a small country, the UK, where there are some spooky goings on. Is it God? Is it just the priest trying to draw up some support for his church? Or is there something altogether spooky happening? Spoiler alert, it's the third one. <laughs> well, it could be a combination of all of the above. It could. Your three characters sort of feels like Jaws-esque, which we've touched on before in, say, Alligator. They're like Jawsy characters. You've got Gordon Kennedy's Deacon as like a grizzled, experienced debunker. You've got the techie expert, and then you've got Aidan McArdle, who is, I guess, the the mayor. I don't know, but <laughs> doesn't it doesn't really work? But yeah, I'm not seeing the Jaws parallel. <laughs> no, there's there's three guys in Jaws, and there are three guys in this. Nailed it. <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, I mean, all kinds of things happen, which we'll get into. But the synopsis, you. Yeah. the synopsis is. Guys go to debunk miracles. Maybe there are miracles. Maybe there Maybe. aren't miracles. <laughs> Maybe it's God. Maybe it's the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's take this break. Because I've run out of words already. Whoa! Oh, shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Listen, Jamie, if there's one thing we can both agree on, it's that Red Scare looks after you. That's their main deal. They're always there for you. They've always got your back. Yeah. www.redscare.net when you need some love. No matter what position you're in, they will help you. If you're feeling yeah. angry, they've got some angry shit for you. If you're feeling melancholic, they've got some sad shit. If you're feeling like you want to break into a car, there's mm -hmm. Max Intruder. Like, it's all there. It's all there for you. If you feel like you want to it's drown yourself, you can jump into Lake Michigan with a sincere engineer. Like, have a great time. Very good. All the time. That's probably Red Scare's real motto, right? Have a good time all the time? Yeah. I mean, I stole that from Spinal Tap, but Red Scare can have it. They can have it from you. Then it's not stealing. Have a good time all the time. Redscareindustries.net. And we're back. Did you find some words? <laughs> the words I found are, I've been promoted to tripod. <laughs> your ass ran out of words quite important in this movie in terms of uh characterization i would say is the setting we're talking about a very remote very rural place we're what are we west country are we cornwall devonshire Ooh, that's that's a good question because i did know the answer to that i think that's where we are and i think it's really important that it's it's very isolated it feels like a character at times the fact that they're they're in this house in the middle of nowhere, especially because the movie starts with just Grey on his own in the house, showing you how fucking separated it is from everything and how lonely we are straight away. I think one of the things that I really like about this film is is that sort of isolation, but also how real the characters feel to me. Mm. I love Grey. I think I've we've, we know, what, 50 Greys each? Way too many Greys, yeah. Just like techie small town guy that's him right yeah i find him fucking annoying 
Really? <laughs> I can't stand Grey. I'm sorry, Grey. I'm sure, you know, it's since you've said that you think this is just him playing himself, I feel like everything I say is going to be a, a real personal insult to him. I don't like his character. If he's really like that in real life, then fine. My apologies. Maybe we would get along over a pint. But I, I, oh boy, difficult guy to be around, in my opinion. I just, I think he's funny. And I think the idea that, like, one of my main criticisms of all horror, but particularly found footage, it's worth mentioning this is a found footage film, and mm-hmm. um, we hadn't mentioned that yet, is that the characters are people that I've never met and I've never seen and would never engage with. Like, maybe the Blair Witch Project folks have a bit of realism to me, but none of them feel like people that I know, whereas Grey feels like a, a real guy that I really know in an in a insane situation, reacting how I would react. Mm. And there's, that, there's loads of familiarity. As soon as you see him and hear his voice, you're like, I know that fucking guy. Mm. For better or for worse. Like you say, some people, that's my best friend. Other people, oh boy, I know that guy. Yeah, that guy is the guy who I avoid. I... I, I sink my my smoke breaks so i don't end up going for a cigarette when he's going for a cigarette like that yeah i turned down the cleaning products aisle in tesco because he's coming straight towards me yeah yeah that guy and that's fine i think that's imp- it's incredibly important in my opinion in a movie like this that your performance like this in a found footage movie is so real that you run the risk of alienating people through realism like yeah. you don't want everyone to like everyone in every movie and he is clearly supposed to be a bit of a marmite character you're not supposed to absolutely love him from the second you see him no, I, I I completely agree, and I think like he's supposed to bristle some of the audience in the same way that he like he bristles against Deacon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're but supposed I, to watch that relationship evolve, right? Yeah, I really like their relationship. I think I think I believe them as sort of like work friends that would become more than just work friends. They don't fuck, but like they. <laughs> yeah, this ain't Wolfen or Alligator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that being said their relationship to me yes it feels it feels as real as their performances will allow is about as generous as i can be <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think i think the performances are really good but i know really? i know what you mean i think that there are there's a there's a, a layer of like something that's that's separating their performances from like actually really good performances yeah do you think it's that one of them is an actor and one isn't I don't know because I think that Gray is a is his performance is better, but that that might be because he's playing himself. He's he's playing himself, and because Deacon Gordon Kennedy has a long acting career and is probably finding it very difficult to act against someone that that is just being themselves. Yeah, and there's there's almost a marked difference in the scenes where he's clearly acting to a camera for the pov shots yeah than when he's side by side in a scene with gray where i don't know both feel a little bit chilly to me but again i think that's part of his quite difficult character in that you know he's supposed to be very guarded he's supposed to be very closed yeah yet he's put in a situation with one other guy to bounce off for the vast majority of the movie so i think i think he's in a tough lane from the very beginning in terms of performance and believability uh and the, the way the movie wins you over i think and 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 does really well is that it does warm that sentiment up between the two characters to the point where you do believe okay they have fucking nothing in common but they're slowly kind of realizing they're in this together at least yeah i think i mean part of that in terms of their relationship specifically is when father amadon shows up 
Yeah. And he, and it's like a united front against this snotty little oppressive dickhead. Yeah. And again, the the thing I found slightly difficult there is I didn't think he was a good enough antagonist to really mm. split them up. Like he was fairly, you know, two-dimensional and, and cut out of like the what kind of person would drive a wedge between these two guys. Drawn in such a way that made it quite obvious he his character was created to provide that grit between them. But, you know, that being said, I think when more characters are introduced into this movie, you get a, a much more sort of nuanced set of performances as they kind of bounce off each other a bit more. The unsung hero of this is the is the the town priest. What's his name? Krellick. Oh yeah. Luke Neal playing Father Krellick. Yeah, I think he's I think he's great. Especially like the way that his character is completely different when he's giving sermons to when he's like chatting with the the folks from the Vatican and I mean, most of the scariest things that happen happen because of him. So he really drives that. I mean, there's a couple of really scary things that I think happen with him not in the scene. When the cross falls off the wall, for example, is fucking terrifying. Um, I want to get into something a little bit deep with you, Sam. Go on. A lot of people think that jump scares are bullshit. Mm. Where do you stand on on the the validity of jump scares? I really like jump scares. I I don't see... Uh, I mean... Okay, I understand why people don't like them or they think they're cheap, but I don't care at all. <laughs> I think <laughs> jumps, some things happen in life that make you jump. If yeah. a movie is just fucking jump scare after jump scare, then sure, you've got one trick and you're, you're thrashing it to death. But I think a well-placed jump scare is just as good as any other kind of scare. You know, it's easy to categorize a jump scare because it elicits a very specific reaction, right? Yeah, like absolutely. A gross out scare, a gore scare, a fucking, you know, whatever. Um, I've got absolutely no problem with jump scares as a as a device to build and develop a sense of horror. What about you? I completely agree. I think that um like a jump scare is a really well done one is really well is really earned. Mm. Like you're so involved in what's happening on screen, like you've you've lent forward, you're in it, and then mm -hmm. it repays you by, you know, throwing something directly at your face. A little and, bit of poo in your pants. Yeah, and I think when they're well done like that, I think that they are maybe even more valid than any other type of scare. Like you could be like, have that sort of eerie feeling when you're watching a film, but you're not really scared. It's just sort of like a, a bit of a, a bit of a tingle in your bum hole. But like mm. a jump scare is a is a, a visceral reaction. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Like I I completely agree that if 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 a film is just like hoying thousands of jump scares at you constantly then it's yeah it's it it does cheapen it slightly but like there are people out there that are like spoiler alert for the the haunting of hill house have you seen mm. the haunting of hill house yeah we, uh the old one or the no. new one the the tv, the oh, the TV show, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah so the the jump scare when they're in the car and then like the corpse of now like flies into the front seat is mm. one of the most terrifying things one of the most like at least recently one of the scariest things that i can think of right and like that show is no there, there are some jump scares there are some like oh there's a ghost behind you and you don't know about it but we do which is a yeah. different flavor but like that is so well timed and so scary that it's just perfect and i think the jump scares in this the borderlands i think they are for the most part, really, really well done. Uh, yeah, and it's subjective, isn't it? Uh, you know, I know people who jump 
when you say hello to them too loud. And yeah. I, and I know people who w- would sit through the the most like classic jump scare movie of all time and see them coming a mile off and not even slightly react. But I think that there's an artistry to it, the timing. Yeah, Kaz is really good at like not listening or engaging with her surroundings. So every time I walk into a room where she's where she already is, she shits her pants. I mean, that feels quite rewarding, I would say. <laughs> like it would. I'm just trying to exist in my own home, Sam. Yeah. Which I guess uh, ghosts are too. So Exactly, right? You're you're jostling for position there with a thousand ghosts. I think it's very difficult to just say a type of scare sucks or a type of scare is the best. Mm. And it's totally down to taste. Some people really hate that feeling of being shocked or taken by surprise. And you can totally understand why. But uh, the, the, more, the more people's attention span shrinks and the less they're engaged with stuff and the less immersive their vehicle for viewing stuff is, the more impressive I find a really good, well-timed jump scare. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think... When they're done really well, they're just, they're just, it's special. That's what I'm here for. I want to be there's scared. Of, yeah, there's lots of different shades to a jump scare as well. Like a lot of the jump scares in, you know, classic slashes are played for laughs or at least played off for laughs directly mm. afterwards. Some jump scares are absolutely in the, in the bitterest depths of the scariest moment of the movie and there's nothing funny about it and you're completely bricking it from then onwards. And I, again, I think like choosing the right kind of jump scare, putting it in the right kind of place and appealing to, you know, at least a vague knowledge of your audience and how they're going to react is a pretty special kind of artistry. I think so. I think the only jump scare that I'm now over, uh, there's a couple actually, the the cat jumping out when you're like creeping around the house. Oh, but you get to see a cat. That's true. But I get to see cats all fucking day, every day. Like True. I can never get enough. Yeah, fair enough. The and one I'm over is the one that Grey does, the, where the, the guy jumps out of the other guy and it's nothing scary at all. It's just him going, oh, boo. I think I, in the movie that works for me because he, he just keeps it going. He commits to it for so long. Yeah, does it for way too long. It's ten just like times more annoying. oogly boogly noises for fucking <laughs> eight minutes or something. It's great. Yeah. Although I like them in real life. I did one of those recently on someone and it was immensely rewarding. Seeing yeah. them, their face, you know, when they think they're going to die is great fun. <laughs> Maybe that's why it wasn't rewarding in this because you you see the POV shot so you don't see the response. Yeah. The other one for me is the mirror. You have the mirrors in front of you, the, like the mirror cabinet. Yeah. You open, open the cabinet, you get something out, you close the cabinet, something's behind you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Any kind of like mirror. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's a cool thing. It's just I feel mm. like it's been done quite a lot. Yeah, I think there's better ways to do it maybe than, than shit that I've seen recently. And I yeah. would rather not be made jump there. I'd rather something interesting. Like, you know, you can do really clever stuff with framing and you can put stuff in the background that moves in certain ways. You, you blink and you miss some of this stuff nowadays. It's great. Yeah, I think so, some of those like jump scare tropes are now so tropey that like you can play with them. That I think... I don't know what it was that I saw recently, but there was a, there was a mirror thing, and she closes the mirror, and there's nothing behind her, and you're like, oh, there's nothing behind her, and then she turns, and there's like a thing just next to her, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was more in misdirection. Yeah, more let like, my let my guard down. Like yeah, more fake outs, more room for you know repositioning classic tropes and stuff. I think it's good that people can take risks with that kind of stuff now that basically everything's been done. Uh, and you're going to get people trailblazing, doing new things. I think as soon as you demonize something like a jump scare and stigmatize it, people won't fuck with it anymore. And that's that's a shame because there's a big audience for that. 
Yeah, I don't. I just don't see how people are dicks. Yeah, it's, it's bottom the, line. The, That's the whole reason line. we have a podcast, right? People are dicks. Yeah, uh, I think it was Bill Fulkerson who hosts the Outside the Cinema podcasts that said, "Opinions are like assholes. Everybody is one." <laughs> That's good. So, getting on jump scares, were you going to say there are jump scares in this movie that you really like? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, the when the cross falls off the wall is great. And I think there are a couple more, but I can't seem to recall them right now. Can I write them down? It's punctuated with little bitty jump scares from, from I would say, for the first like act and a bit, I think, to develop some kind of sense that something's going on here before anything scary happens. Yeah. There's some jumpy jumps, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think oh, it's, it's just cool. And I think when you're in a church, especially like a fucked up old church like this one, like you're already ready to be scared. So like, I don't think this film lets, lets you down. I don't know. What do you think as someone that maybe doesn't feel the same way about it as I do? No, I wasn't scared at all. And I didn't find anything even really jump scary, to be honest, for the vast majority of this film. The ending is a whole different crock of shit in a good way. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I struggled through 90% of this movie. I found it really annoying, not even remotely engaging or scary, and just not taking any of my boxes until they start fucking around under the church. And then I was even more annoyed that they didn't do more of that for the rest of the film. But I love, 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 love the story of this film. If you sat me down in a pub and said, here's an idea for a movie and talk me through this film, I would buy I would fucking sell everything I own to invest in that. I would volunteer to edit it. I would do anything I could to see that movie made flesh. And that's why I was very disappointed in the execution. And I can't put my finger on what it is that fucked me so hard on this film. But I just think it's a fucking genius plot. It just doesn't quite do it for me in the execution. I think I think the way that it's executed is is very deliberate in that like the movie wants you to think about ghosts and goblins and demons and like it, it it wants you to put yourself in a very sort of christian centric headspace mm -hmm. and then it says you know fuck that you're wrong right and so i think i think that's really deliberate in terms of the way that it's edited the way that we spend so much time with these guys from the church the way that like they know that everything that, that the church believes is bullshit really mm. like yeah. the, whole, the whole point is that like they've been to all these so-called miracles and none of them are really miracles so like god doesn't really exist the the faith and whatever is whatever but like the the physical god of christianity isn't a thing and yeah. so i think it's really important that we that we learn that through the characters and then obviously there's a big conversation where gray and deacon are talking about well, firstly, it's about the big guy eating the little guy, which mm -hmm. obviously that comes back later. And then, if if there was a fight between the people, the 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 god who doesn't exist and the god that is real, I know yeah. who I'd back. And I just, I just think that's really cool. It sort of teases out really slowly. And I, for the most part, like like I say, really enjoy their relationship and really enjoy mm. their sort of interplay and enjoy the spooky stuff in the church. That sort of carries me along while they drop these hints but i guess if that doesn't work for you then it does probably make it a bit more a bit more sluggish 
Well, their conversations are really important to the the final resolution of the movie. Like like you say, they're dropping breadcrumbs here, there, and everywhere throughout. And that there's a really important kind of interplay there where the the deeply religious people don't believe that anything's happening, and the guy who is essentially an agnostic or maybe even more towards being an atheist is keener on the idea of there being something supernatural happening here. Yeah. So I, I like the shift between them there, and I like the I like the fact that we are kind of just gently drip fed lots of thematic dialogue that works really well in the outcome. But it's really hard to engage with it. It doesn't feel like it's going anywhere for a really long time until it does. And then you look back and you think, okay, that was quite clever. But that's not rewarding in the moment, which makes it a little bit harder to enjoy. I mean, I disagree, but yeah, that's fine. I still, I still like you. <laughs> We're still friends. Yeah, but it's, it's all about the personal experience of it, isn't it? I think if Gordon Kennedy had been better i would have fucking loved it if he had been a bit more jaws you know if he had been a bit more grizzled ships captain and maybe laid it on a bit thicker i probably would have enjoyed it if robin hill hadn't been so fucking annoying i probably would have enjoyed it a lot more but key i think is mark aiden mccardle's mark he didn't bring anything interesting for me if he'd come in and been you know a lot more if there was more charisma there if he was maybe a little bit more of a uh, a memorable character just like do something bud that would have been great I did really enjoy Father Calvino, apart from the accent work, and I found Father Krellick unwatchable. Really? Yeah, just absolute chronic dog shit, that guy, I'm afraid. Oh, like, I feel <laughs> like... What do you think of his death? Let's, let's just not fucking argue about whether or not it's a good performance. What do you think of his death scene? I think it's cool. It's just metal, isn't it? Like, just jumping headfirst <laughs> off a church. Did you? Do you not think they fucking... It was too painfully low budge, though. You, he's standing there. You pan away. You pan back. You see a little bit of a fucking white tablecloth go over the edge. And then you lean over and there he is on the floor. Like a two-year-old's going to watch that and be like, I know how they did that. It just sucks you out of it completely. I think this is like the, the double-edged sword that is found footage because I think yeah. like we're getting these character perspectives. So it makes sense that he would look away while he's shouting for Deacon or whatever. But like... It does cheapen it maybe a little bit, but I still think it's cool. I think. Yeah. I just, I envisit, I rewatched the scene in my head and I think there's 50 things you could have done there that would have made it more real or even more scary and just not as obvious. Like you saw it come in and then it happened and then it was over. And I just kind of got bummed by that. I was glad he was dead, but I was bummed <laughs> that we had to watch it in that way. I think it's a huge part of the plot that he leaps from his church to his death. I actually quite enjoyed the character's reactions to his death. I liked how Gray's character dealt with it. I quite enjoyed Deacon's priesting. And the movie does pick up the pace from then onwards, right? Yeah, definitely. It's it's catalyst for a lot of crazy bullshit. So can we talk about why Krellick kills himself? Do you think that the worm god or whatever it is that's under the ground is like trying to get him to feed babies to its butthole? And, he, and think, he, he doesn't want to do that, so he kills himself. Yeah, it's it's really fucking loose and hard to speculate on. But if if this, you know, let's say whatever it is, under the church, demon, worm god, uh, yeah. seems to be awakened by the first christening in the church for quite some time, right? Yeah. And there's a baby there, and it's screaming. So I think that awakens its hunger. And then, because this is such an ancient, unknowable, Lovecraftian evil he's driven insane by it one way or the other. Yeah. Whether it's trying to get him to feed it, whether it's just messing with his mind, he's kind of sane enough to 
communicate with other humans, but eventually he's driven to the point where he can't handle... Maybe it's just the fact that, like, the existence of something like that undermines your faith so much that you leap from the top of your church. I don't know. Yeah, no, I guess that there is that possibility. I think, like, in terms of the story, like, the the detail of the story, that a lot of it is, like we say, it's, like, breadcrumbed out. So you get the bit about... What's his name? Mandeville. Mandeville. I don't know. Who are you talking about? <laughs> they, they read the diary of this guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. But quick. Like, I almost missed that. Yeah. And, like, he's drawn to this church by what he believes is God and opens an mm. orphanage nearby. And then he has a new master now, which is a fucking quite a scary thing. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And, again, like, in terms of the lore of this movie and the, the story itself, fuck, yeah. You open an orphanage because you're called to by your God. And then you find out you're going to be feeding babies into the stomach of hell. Like, that's fucking rad. I think you're right. It could go either way with, with Krellick in terms of, like, whether he, whether his faith is so undermined that he just has to plummet or whether the, the thing, the creature, the, the god, is trying to get him to feed babies to the, to the what's it. Yeah, I think Gray's character does a good job of sort of teasing that out and, and saying, like, well, fuck, don't you go to hell if you kill yourself? <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of makes it even scarier. You know, the idea of a priest topping himself is inherently terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, whatever his reasons are, I like that they're not... He doesn't leave a fucking, you know, four-page letter with loads of exposition giving you all the backstory and telling you why it happened. Love that. Thank you. Spare us. And some good stuff happens outside in the church grounds after... He leaps to his demise. And he's, he's still alive for a little while, which is kind of fun, you know. Yeah, always fun. Yeah, every time I look at a church now and I look at the ground underneath it, I'm be like, fuck, if I jumped off that, I wouldn't die straight away. I'd have to lay there <laughs> writhing around, screaming. So what's the best way to die? Is it to jump off the church? Mm. Or is it the hot fuzz when the thing is pushed off the top and falls on your head like it does to uh, Adam Buckles? Adam I'd... I think I'd love to jump off a church. I'd aim for like a tight cluster of graves just so I get proper mangled. Uh, I want to land on a tomb and die instantly. You know, that kind of thing would be pretty sick. There's a bit in Brain Dead slash Dead Alive, which we know you fucking hate, Sam, blah, 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 <laughs> where um, the Kung Fu priest like jumps a certain way and like lands on a thing or maybe one of the zombies lands on the thing with its hand up. That's a, that's a great way to die. In a church, yeah, a lot of good ways church. to die in a church. Yeah. Not just spiritually or in terms of your capacity for rationality and critical thinking. But the the <laughs> the fun part of, of all of this grisly, English, boring nothing of the movie is that it does lead to some pretty fucking explosive, anti-boring nothing. And it all starts with, with Father Krellick uh leaping to his death which i have to admit i didn't really expect until i expected it for the five minutes leading up to it happening what do you think of the movie when it starts to really fucking pick up the pace you've got a great marriage of two fairly disparate fairly distinct characters who are slowly starting to merge and, and tell a bit more truth about their lives it's very intimate because it's a lot of pov stuff mm. they're very they're living in close quarters you get to observe them from you know uh, strange sort of intrusive angles all around the house etc etc they bond this guy dies we bring in these two new kind of semi-antagonistic characters into the equation and then they start really fucking getting deep on the church yeah i think when, when calvino shows up yeah it's everything is amazing from there like the idea i mean calvino exists to 
drop a lot of exposition about mm. what's what's happening and why it's happening and the the idea that people maybe don't know that Christianity is built on the on the backs of existing religions, which is obviously what the film is ultimately about. Yeah. In its, it's the, um, the ancient like the the ancient gods and the the pre Christian uh you know, basically paganism, the idea of worshipping as you know, Gray mentions earlier on, men- uh, worshiping the te- well, the semi-tangible to them at the time, not tangible, but like the sun, the moon, the stars, yeah. the earth, etc. And then you're you're dealing with more primal ideas of re- religion, right? On top of that, obviously, like Christmas is 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 when it is because that was when pagan festival was and Easter yeah. and blah blah blah. So like the entirety of like Christianity is built on top of the foundations of this older religion, just to undermine and steal it. Yeah. So like yeah. I I think that's a cool concept and like the 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 like making that physical mm. is is great. Yeah, it makes it threatening and ominous and yeah. unknowable and creepy and the fact that you've got priests explaining that is a really clever device for me because normally you'd have this really tropey bullshit of the priest denying the existence of anything before God and you know just sort of like trying to whitewash history to the point that you know paganism was just a bunch of dumb people running around chewing on bones and now we have this sophisticated doctrine of morality etc etc so the fact that the priests are kind of shitting it about this it's really quite fun yeah no i think so i think the the stuff when we get into the caves yeah this is when it picks up like considerably for you i'm guessing It, it just starts to bring to fruition uh all of the stuff that's mentioned and sort of hinted at up until this point it makes it more it makes the movie more about that, in my opinion, because yeah. you know they're they're physically going to this place rather than just sort of talking about it a little bit unconvincingly for me. Um, you get to see some great stuff down there. There, the, the love a baby skeleton. Absolutely, oh, piles and piles of baby skeletons. Do you, oh, you want to tick more of my boxes? You've got an ancient, unknowable pagan evil beneath a church, and you're sending some priests and some guys that I want to see die down into the catacombs, the caves, the caverns, the creepy crawlies under the church where they're going to fucking melt? Yes, please. Where was this an hour ago? Love that shit. Well, if it happened an hour ago, the rest of the movie would then be slowly digesting. I'm fine with that. (laughs) (laughs) Cut the shit. Get down there and melt, okay? I No, I I think it's... I, I obviously understand why they wait right till the fucking bitter end to actually, you know, do something and, and why it's so terrifying yeah. and what the slow burn and the big build is. But the all of there's a massive lore dump when they go down into those catacombs. And yes, that's a great like blast of fresh air for the movie, drenched in gore immediately, thinking, fuck, then they're definitely not getting out of these caves. And if they do, they're discovering something horrific down there. Yeah. What is it? And they do, they discover room by room, cave by cave, D&D style, these horrific pieces of history that they slowly put together and realise, oh my God, we're fucked. The cave stuff, some of the cave stuff is where the film sort of falls into some of those really tropey, like um, found footage traps that I, oh, don't, yeah. that I don't love, where it's like you sort of see someone that you recognise turning a corner and then you have to run to find them. Like that is the entire movie as above, so below. Right. And which which I like, I think like it's fine to do that as long as the rest of the movie is okay. But like mm. it is tropey and does sort of bug me a little bit that that mm. when that happens. But all the rest of the stuff, the the sort of the scrawled, 
I have a new master now on the wall. But I think the the phrase "I have a new master now" is just inherently terrifying when it yeah when it comes from a priest. Like absolutely, <laughs> and that's great. We, you know, the joy of religious horror is the the good versus evil. You know, the ancient good versus evil story. Yeah, uh, and when that's made flesh, when you actually have something to fight or that's trying to kill you. It's all—it's almost always fun, and you're right. Bit tropey at times down there in the old uh, in the the gristle dungeon, but I found it really engaging. I thought like it's so the end of Blair Witch. One of the big criticisms that people have is that that end scene doesn't go on long enough. You don't get enough yeah. visceral horror at the end of it. I think this is really well paced for a horrific found footage ending. Uh, it's almost punishingly long in a way, you know, when you actually get down to what's happening in there. Yeah, definitely. But it's, you know, the second they fucking crack open that wall and go down into those caves, I was 100% in. Any weakness in performance was just like brushed aside by the fact that, you know, finally we're in some caves and we're digging deeper under a church and it's fucking moving. It's a moving maze underneath a church full of baby skeletons. Fuck yeah, melt these guys. I think when you see, like the moment when you... When they get into the final chamber or whatever, and you just see mm. the end of it pucker, you're like, "Well, yeah. fuck me." That's... Yeah, that that was really scary. The the movement I wasn't buying at first. They're just like, "It's moving," and you think, "Is it?" I can't see shit. And then you do see a little bit of you know shifty grifty, and you think, "Oh, can you even imagine how horrifying that would be?" <laughs> it reminds me quite a lot of like all those stories that you hear about fucking spelunkers or whatever, like. <laughs> The stupidest dickheads in on on the planet. Fucking spelunkers is an amazing porno. <laughs> but like the, those uh those stories that you hear about them going into tunnels, yeah. taking a wrong turning, and then just mm. dying in a little crevasse. Yeah, just getting stuck upside down with your head wedged between two rocks until you eventually just starve and wither and die. I mean, in terms of a horror premise, you take that and then you add being digested and then you add all the fucking solid concrete structures around you are moving like that is some of the scariest stuff i've ever ever experienced conceptually in a movie again the execution is the only thing that fucks me everything else like the every idea in this movie is absolutely amazing and i love some of my favorite stuff in horror is guys in robes under churches doing the unthinkable so the fact that we never see any of that works for me at the end because yeah. i'm picturing it they help you picture the past they they're like horror archaeologists telling you everything that happened before this and that's wonderful i would have liked a bit more of that throughout the the first two thirds three quarters but it it does pay off at the end as well i i wonder if this might serve you better on a on a second watch I'm not going to watch it again. <laughs> well, because you don't know you don't know the breadcrumbs are leading anywhere until until you get there. So like I, do, I, I, I yeah. feel like you you maybe not you, the royal you maybe disregard yeah. some of the some of the sort of the more cluier things that they're saying. Some of it's obviously very on the nose, a big guy eating the little guy and when they're literally talking about like the the physicality of pagan gods versus the mm. the ethereal nature of the christian god obviously that's very on the nose but like there's a few obviously other bits that they're laying down as it goes through just to sort of lead you comfortably to this place so i wonder if a second watch might help someone who feels like you i'm not gonna mm. if you don't want to watch it again i'm not gonna fucking force you <laughs> toothpicks in your eyes and shit but like yeah, you could try it's not gonna happen but <laughs> 
I, I, I totally see what you're saying, but I actually fully appreciated all of that stuff and thought that was some of the best stuff in the first two thirds was that I didn't feel like I was being drowned in exposition. I was being mm. cleverly led to a horrific ending. I really appreciate that as, in terms of the filmmaking. What I hated is that I had to fucking do that by watching a school play for <laughs> fucking 70 minutes. And at the end, you know, dude, it's like watching 70 minutes of a school play and then you know, 15, 20 minutes of the English Blair Witch Project, which is such a jarring turn in, in movie quality. It, it nearly made me cry. But fuck me, come on. Like, you could have had silence for the first two thirds of this movie and then the ending and it would justify it. You could have like a fucking, just a shot. You could just live stream a church for 50 minutes and then have the ending of this film and it would be totally worth it. The ending does paper over a lot of the cracks I, like i say i i disagree with you pretty roundly on everything that you said forever yeah but I um <laughs> like i think the performances are good i think they're i think they're real mm. like I, I i know what you mean that there's like a there's a layer particularly in deacon that d d just sort of separates it and i think it's because like like we said that he's comes from a very different acting background to the person that he spends most of his time with who i find yeah. incredibly convincing throughout right even at the end when he's like, you said it wasn't real, as he's melting. That's a horrible fucking line. It's so childlike and terrified and kind of mean. Mm. Like th at the end there, you know, Deacon is clearly like begging for forgiveness from everybody, <laughs> not just from God. And Grey is not making it easy for him to be forgiven. Mm. Uh, I think that that end, you know, they are they're, they're dying alone down there. And that is some of the scariest shit in the whole film the dialogue at the end is awful like awful in the sense that it's really scary but yeah i think i think it all works i think it leads you really nicely and really comfortably without like like you say without spoon feeding you anything but yeah i really enjoy the paranormal activity film that takes place until the borderline starts in the beginning of the third act do you know what i mean right yeah yeah, yeah. But you like those paranormal paranormal activity movies where nothing happens. No, I happens. don't. I no, I don't. I surprised myself by liking whatever it was, like the sixth one or something. The marked the, ones or whatever it was called. I can't remember. It's like the one where there's a fucking Amish tribe or something. Tribe? That's not the right word. <laughs> An Amish community. I, I think I liked the first paranormal activity because I saw it in the cinema with a bunch of buds and just had a blast. A paranormal activity next of kin is oh, a film I watched kin? and surprised right. myself by not hating. I cannot say. I loved it. I'll never watch it again. It just did some clever stuff. It did some horribly dumb stuff with drones and whatever else. I just assumed that you liked it because you texted me saying, have you seen this? I just watched it and it was pretty good. It was, it was in my opinion, pretty good. But the bar was so fucking low because I knew mm. it was basically going to be junk. I enjoyed that there was no one in it that I knew. These were all new faces. There was some clever, you know, found, I guess, clever found footage stuff done. A couple of great set pieces, some really cool scenes, I guess is the word. Like the locations are really fun. Yeah, didn't hate it. But I don't love found footage acting is the problem because yeah. it, I think it asks something of the performers that is essentially, you just, it's not, it's just not easy to do unless I think you're a really almost astonishingly good actor or you have a, a movie happening around you that makes it really easy to pull off. And yeah, I mean, we talked about, when I was on uh, Shoot the Hostage talking about the Blair Witch Project, we talked a lot yeah. about Heather's performance. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. I can't yeah. believe she won a fucking Razzie. Uh, it is. Uh, to, to be able to pull that off as an actor, I just think is next level yeah. incredible. 
you know, I, there's not a second of her performance that I don't believe is 100% real. Yeah. And Especially the, the monologue at the end. Like, the, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like we said on Shoot the Hostage, I think the, the reason that she got a Razzie is because it was so fucking lampooned and spoofed and became basically like the WhatsApp of yeah. horror movie stuff but like and, and we know why right like we said earlier because people are fucking idiots yeah like there's there's no more immersive a performance in a found footage movie she sets the high watermark miles above anything else i've ever seen i've never yeah. seen anything come even close to that she does the full spectrum of human emotion in a horror movie that that is essentially you know a bunch of people with really bad cameras running around in the woods you, you know if you're if you if you're not a fan, if it doesn't engage you in the slightest, of course it's going to undermine the performance. This is exactly what happens to me in the Borderlands. But you could you can still objectively look at someone's art and say it's effective. Yeah, you know, she does a great fucking job. Have you got any other any other um, examples of good performances in fan footage movies that you like? No. What about what about? <laughs> uh, What's a fa- I can't even think of a fucking fan footage movie. What about Lizzie Kaplan in? Cloverfield. I can't talk about Lizzie Kaplan without falling over. So it's <laughs> all the blood rushes objective. out of your brain and you yeah, die of an aneurysm. God, she is absolutely incredible. Cloverfield, I have mixed feelings about. I can't say it's a found footage movie that I really like, if I'm completely honest. Well, uh, obviously, absolutely love her in it. But again, it's not, it's a massive Hollywood found footage movie with tons of CG and. It's an enormous production. So those actors feel like they're in another movie, in my opinion. You know, they're surrounded by high quality and they're not yeah. having to having to drag up this bizarre sense of exaggerated realism that's designed to be hyper real by underplaying almost. It's, it's such a bizarre ask of an actor. I don't I'd love to talk to an actor about what it's like to do something found footagey, and I bet it's a lot like being on stage. Yeah, I think Part of the reason why I really buy into the relationship between Deacon and Gray is sort of part of that big brother situation. Like, because we're watching them from the same way that we would watch the ca- the characters, the people, they are people, despite what you might think, in Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're watching them in the same way. Yeah. They're having these, what seem like fairly inane conversations that obviously mean something because it's narrative, but like... Mm. The same way that we watch these people in Big Brother have really inane conversations. I mean, nobody watches Big Brother anymore, but like whatever reality show that we're watching at the moment, The Traitors or The Circle or fucking whatever, Mm. like we're seeing these people in the same way that we see those characters. So you sort of form that sort of relationship with them, I think, which I don't know is, is if that's on purpose, specific for this movie, or whether it's just a like a happy byproduct of shooting your found footage in a way where you're using CCTV angles and you're using POV cameras and things like that. Well, it's definitely a double-edged sword because anytime you're watching something voyeuristically uh, without the the sort of knowledge that you're watching something that's been shot, quote-unquote, you know, there's no camera person. Anytime you're doing that, you're invited to judge, I think, is the main thing. Because yeah. you're, you're, you're watching in a different way. Something isn't being given to you as a, a member of an audience. You're sneaking a peek at something really intimate. And that puts you in a really compromised position, I think, as a member of the audience. And that heightened sense of judgment works two ways. You're either, like you said, all in on the relationship and 
maybe hypercritical of one against the other or you're 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 you feel placed inside the relationship in some way or you're you're distanced a bit and you're you're made to sort of judge a bit harshly everything that's happening in front of you and that's why i think it's so hard to make a movie like this work mm. so i have like an enormous amount of respect for anyone who even tries it but for for these two characters in particular i felt there was a, a slightly unexplored father-son thing going on that i would have liked to have seen played out a bit more it's kind of obvious to me that gray is maybe a little bit immature and a little bit unsure of himself and obviously that's not the case and obviously deacon steps in after a while warms up a little bit and starts offering some wisdom and I like that, you know, Robin Hill as an actor in this isn't shoved to, to one side by those conversations. He's very much active in them and he's rising to it. And, you know, there's no like, there's no janky dialogue that feels out of beat. You know, everything feels quite well timed. They obviously have some chemistry. Yeah. There's just something there that doesn't quite fucking click for me, which is annoying because I would love to love this movie. There are people that think that the ending is lazy. How do you feel about that? Fuck you, man. Like, how is there anything even remotely lazy about the intensity of this ending? Just have a fucking look at yourself. I, it's, uh, what, uh, based on what? But it's just like, oh, we'll, we'll send them into the caves. They'll do some found footage cave stuff, and then they'll die mm. in the caves. Melty poo. <laughs> Melty poo. <laughs> Yeah, I, sure. If you want to say it like that, do you want to just fucking talk me through the whole of the Shawshank Redemption and say it's lazy? A bunch of guys go to prison, one yeah. of them gets out, runs around, there's a guy crawling he around in poo. Goes to fucking Tanaka Seho or whatever it's called. Care, fucking boring. Yeah, you can say that about anything. I think if... I, all right, okay, so I think I understand. Because it goes a bit tropey, quote-unquote, at the end, you could say that that's, you know, just leaning back on, you know, something that's been done before and, and doing it loudly. Sure. I just don't think, I think it's a labor of love to get to this point in the movie and it's an enormous payoff. So yeah. if that's lazy, I don't want to know what hard work is because I think it's so incredibly effective. It it feels like an enormous amount of hard work paying off. It's like the opposite of lazy. Because they've dropped these breadcrumbs, because they've led us here hmm. like very carefully, regardless of whether like, even like you say, like you didn't really connect to the first two thirds like, regardless of whether you like this movie or not, like, it does feel like a culmination of all the things that have been laid out beforehand. Yeah, it's not just a random happening. It's it's a trap. That's yeah. the scariest thing about it is they're, they're basically lured down there. Uh, and I've got to be honest, I, when, when it started happening down in the caves, I didn't know they were being digested. I thought they were just melting for some crazy reason. And then... <laughs> the dialogue starts clicking in a little bit more and you start thinking about what's actually happening and what the movement is. And again, like, uh, lazy would have been for them to be screaming, like, we're being eaten by a demon under a church. Like, that would have been lazy as fuck. <laughs> to, to go into, like, those really eerie credits at the end and make you sit there and think, why the fuck were they melting? And then have it dawn on you that they've been devoured alive by an unknowable Lovecraftian evil beneath an ancient church deep in the sacred ground of early pagan demon worship. That's not fucking lazy. That's masterful movie making at the end there. Yeah. So this is um, the director, Elliot Goldner's only feature. Mm -hmm. Do you think you want to see more from, from old Elliot? Fuck no. I don't want to hear that name for the rest of my life. <laughs> Unless what? it says a remake of Final Prayer done well, 
with Barry Pepper and Tommy Lee Jones based on the movie by that guy who made it the first time around. He's got a lot of interesting things to say, clearly. I just wish he'd done it differently for my personal taste, which says absolutely fucking nothing about the quality of the movie. There's probably legions of people out there led by Jamie Carruthers into battle who would die for the first two thirds of this movie. It does a really fucking good job of a lot of stuff. It's just not, you know, my taste. What do you want more of? I I think, like you say, this this guy's got some really solid ideas. Oh, amazing. Like the and plot like, of this movie is unfuckwithable. Yeah, and the idea that maybe, obviously this is a low budget movie that was made, like you say, labor of love, you know, supported and produced by people in the industry, but not like fucking Sony or whatever. It's like... Yeah. So... The idea that maybe something else from this mind where it can be a bit more developed and maybe there's, I don't want to say more money behind it because I don't think money makes good performances, but I think like... It means you can afford better actors though. Well, I think... Sorry, guys. I think these actors are, like I say, I think that they're good. I do agree that there is that layer, there is that sort of frisson of something that isn't quite there, but but I do think that they're good, particularly Grey. And but now imagine Grey's Barry Pepper. If I was if I was remaking this, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be Tommy Lee Jones and Barry Pepper. Although no, it wouldn't be for me. No, I was just thinking about the three burials of Melchiades Estrada when we started the podcast, and they're the two that came to mind. Shall we take a break and come back and wrap it wrap it up? Yeah, let's do that. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Anyway, we're back. We are back. Okay, Sam. So I know you didn't love the Borderlands, but give me your give me your final thoughts. Sum it up for me. Tell me. My final thoughts, and what's really interesting about this movie is I've never been more in love with a story and less in love with the execution. And that's really thought provoking. So it it's it's everything I love about horror in a lot of ways. It's it's dark under caverns beneath churches. It's the ancient evil of the land. It's the deep, dark, foggy, mysterious parts of England that I'm innately drawn to. It's the howling gaps between the stars. It's normal people confronted with unknowable evil and terror. And it's deep, deep lore about medieval belief systems and all the horror that comes with that. However, the actual movie that we see is placed and... Uh, I guess, like depicted and played out in a, a set of scenarios that aren't my taste. So I think objectively, this movie has some fucking wonderful ideas. And it's obviously executed in a very exacting and precise stylistic way. The The genre that it fits into, it's been deliberately chosen and it's been, it's been made to tick a lot of, you know, fans of found footage's boxes. The ending of this movie stands alone as the scariest and probably best English horror that I've seen in decades. I think the ending of this movie is 100% top tier. There's just stuff happening in it that isn't Sam Russo's taste, and that in no way takes away from the fact that the slow burn build-up, the clever breadcrumbing, the very brave use of POV shots, the burning of a sheep, all of that is genuinely quite unnerving, quite scary, and really well-paced. So there's an absolute fuckton about this movie that on paper will tick a lot of people's boxes and people will really, really like. Just because it's not my taste doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and watch this movie. The uh, cover is very misleading. And the... <laughs> Actually, in a way, the cover that I saw kind of gave away the ending a little bit, which sucks. 
But the what, what cover did you it, say? It's the the one on IMDb with the the church made up of like six chunks of church rotating in a cross shape. Why does that give away the ending? It's cabin in the woods shit. You know the you know that the church is going to be moving in some way. Like it's going to be made up of moving parts. That was a bummer because uh, I hate knowing anything. I do agree that it is playing off like a cabin in the woods type thing in terms of the poster. I like. Mm. I sort of like it, but I also, it's just sort of whatever, isn't it? A picture of the church would be much scarier. Yeah, like, I don't mind it as a standalone piece of art, but I, I definitely don't like it as a fucking spoiler-laden cover. Um, but yeah, what, what, where I would put all of my eggs is this movie's ending. Uh, it is 100% worth watching this movie for, for that ending. And much respect to the, the filmmakers for having such a, an amazing idea and such a beautiful story. And for executing it as best as you possibly can in a very drab environment. I think it's a really fucking cool idea. And I love watching people melt underneath a church. I'm going to give it uh, three and a half baby skeletons out of seven. Okay. That's 50%. Yeah. Okay. 50% baby skeletons. Because what an ending. Yeah, I no. can't take away from the, the genius plan, idea, story, whatever you want to call it. And a fantastic ending. Just because I wasn't massively into the first two thirds doesn't mean it deserves any fewer baby skeletons than I'm giving it. <laughs> so come on, I want to hear you suck this pig's dick so hard. Let's go. I mean, obviously I love it, blah, 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 blah. It's, I find it... <laughs> the end, thank you, Good night. <laughs> I find it genuinely terrifying in a lot of places. And hmm. as we sort of talked about on the Instagram live thing before we recorded this like there's not an awful lot of films that actively scare me mm. and like this is one that has scared me in a very recent time so like you've, you've got to give it it's snaps for that like it's great i love like i said before the way that it sets you up to think about horror in a very sort of christian focused way mm. and then subverts that slowly by sort of laying those how many times can we say fucking breadcrumbs in one episode know, of a podcast? what the fuck else is there? What do they use in other movies? What do they use in Labyrinth? Draw the directions on the stones with lipstick. That's too wordy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and then the, the little fucking guys will move them around anyway. So Yeah, true. Like a fucking creepy space church. As always, I love that you love it. And I also love how much you've talked me into liking it more in the last couple of hours, as usual. I would, I would genuinely, and I don't say this very often about any movies on this podcast, I would genuinely like to see a remake. Uh, I wouldn't. Mm, I'll watch it and let you know how good it is. Just because a remake, it'll be American. They won't get it. They won't get the Englishness. Yeah. And they won't know really what's scary about that. And that would be a huge shame. But they would lump a whole lot more atmosphere into it, I think, which, which I think it would benefit from. I think the atmosphere is pretty spot on. One one thing that I think is massively underrepresented in the found footage, I don't want to call it a genre because it's not a genre, it's a method, is, right. is camera glitching. Why don't we see more camera glitching in found footage? I don't know. I think it's lame. I don't think it's lame at all. I think... It dates it so hard. It's like, oh God, it's mini DV. It just gives me chills thinking about <laughs> editing mini DV. It's awful. <laughs> Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a fetishization thing, I guess, isn't it? Like, I don't mind a bit of VHS grain, but I hate seeing any kind of like DV glitch. Yeah, like there's a there's a moment in this when 
they're looking up at like the cave hole that they climb through and like mm. it all glitches off to one side and it's all full of like artifacts in the dark and it's like that's really cool because as a viewer like in the earlier scenes same in like the paranormal activities we're like desperately looking at things where nothing is happening yeah being like okay what's happening here why are they showing this to us yeah and like we're always desperately looking at the peripheries to try and figure out what we can see yeah, um, we're always looking the... into the dark spaces. We're yeah. always like staring at fucking completely static frames until something shits us up completely. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the most like magical things about found footage is that it gets us to engage very differently with a movie than say a straight up like narrative feature or whatever. And... It definitely asks more of your imagination, right? It, yeah. it pushes you to dig deeper into into filling in the gaps i think which is very fun yeah and like when it starts to fill those gaps with artifacts and weird like glitchy stuff i think i just think that's really cool and it's weird that we don't see more of that i think there's obviously some video weird stuff in in the blair witch project and in like grave encounters they play with sort of glitchy stuff a bit but like blair witch 2 book of shadows a lot well, of glitching yeah true but like i feel like they don't they don't use it as much. Also, a thing that I really hate is when you go on to like Reddit. That's the that's the end of the sentence. The thing I really hate is when you go on to Reddit. Um, you know what I really hate is when you Google something and the top result is six Reddit posts. The thing that I hate is when they're like, yeah, but okay, how how did the footage get out? Who's edited this footage together? Like, oh, fuck God. off, mate. Who gives yeah, a fuck? Fuck off into the digestive tract of an unknowable demon. I <laughs> care care if that's what you care about in this movie you're watching the wrong shit like when you're watching actual movies do you think like oh, i'm watching <laughs> somebody's actual this? yeah <laughs> nobody How says they that? Get that shot inside the volcano there's no way anyone could climb inside of it fuck you the bottom line here i think and sadly once again i don't want to be negative but people are astonishingly dumb and i think if you've got lots of glitching footage people are going to be like oh this is really badly made look they can't even get the fucking camera to not glitch like people are that dumb but I think like this film, more than any other found footage film, really goes out of its way to be like, this is why the found footage is here. Like to the point where they're making their way into the fucking bowels of this fucking snake god or whatever. Mm. And Grey is setting up a relay so the fucking yeah, Don't worry, I've set up this relay so that we we can we can still transmit or whatever the fuck is. Like literally. <laughs> like yeah. that is that is absolute commitment to the to the the bit, whereas it like it is a bit, yeah. <laughs> and you're here being like, "Well, who edited it together?" Fuck off, mate! It's being beamed fuck. directly into your eyeballs from. It's been edited together by Satan himself. This is his cut. You have no right to criticize the edit. It was done by Beelzebub himself. <laughs> I think that they they okay, fuck me going back to the start of the movie, but they they do spend so much time establishing the found footage angle. You see him setting up the cameras. You see them putting on the headsets repeatedly telling Deacon he has to keep his headset on while he wanks or whatever he's saying. Like you have to, it's really reinforced. Um, I don't really know why, but I didn't dislike it. I thought that was all part of it. Setting up the fact that you're, you need to be ready to be comfortable with, with headset footage for the rest of the movie. I don't think it does any harm. I think it's, I think it's, works better than most others because like in any other found footage movie where someone's meant to be holding a mini dv camera or whatever it's mm. like okay i'm being chased by fucking cloverfield right now why am i still carrying this camera 
relatively steady at like, eye line height or yeah. just catching everything at a nice fucking Dutch angle. Yeah, it's horseshit. So I think they've obviously thought long and hard about establishing that. It's like there was a period in horror films where every single horror film had to have a line of dialogue to explain why people couldn't just use their phones. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah. And we've sort of got over it now because people don't really use their phones in as phones ever. But exactly. like, there was just that bit where it was always like, oh, I've got no bars. What about you? Oh, I've got no bars either. Okay, I guess we're going to get killed now. Like <laughs> Bars represent signal, which means we can't make or receive calls. Yeah, it's like way over the top. You know, the use of phones in movies is bumming me out so much. I can barely watch anything new without letting someone else watch it and ask them how much the teenage characters are staring at their phones. There's nothing less engaging than the visual of someone looking at their phone. Even if something incredible is happening on that phone or really important to the plot, I'm done with looking at movies where people are just fucking standing like this for entire establishing shots. It's just, that's just Fuck real off. life, Sam. That's just real yeah, life. Yeah, I hate real life, Jamie. I hate it. I want it done. I want it over. I want to see something completely pretend and magical. No phones. I feel like I read online that like someone pointed out that you never see phones in your dreams. Isn't that weird? That's a really good point. I think that's accurate yeah i don't think i've ever dreamt about a phone like literally isn't that mm. weird yeah none of it's real it's all bullshit i wonder if like when we dream we were actually inhabiting a different dimensional version of ourselves in a world where phones don't exist i've always hoped that's the case i've always hoped that you that sleep is the most obvious thing to prove that there is some kind of innate life force inside us that isn't physical I really hope we go somewhere when we go to sleep. That would be the coolest thing. What if it was just to the belly of a worm god? Send me in. I'm fucking ready. <laughs> every night you're slowly digested. Yeah. Out of every horror movie I've ever watched, this has the funnest ideas behind it for mm. my personal taste. And it has the craziest death. It's deaths. I love those deaths. I think they are fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I obviously I like the f the first two thirds a lot more than you. Yeah. I do think that it's I don't think it's perfect, but I think the way that it deals with these interesting ideas and the way that it sort of serves them to us trusts you as a viewer to to understand what's happening without mm. having to be force fed some of the stuff. I mean, it does get a bit more um on the nose as we travel through just in case you've missed out on some of those earlier breadcrumbs, but never to the detriment of the film, I don't think. It's never no. quite like, this is this is what's happening, guys. Yeah, Maybe I think even if you're watching it really astutely to then talk about it afterwards, there's still little bits that you maybe miss or that the ending serves to kind of back up a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing. I think so too. And like I say, I think, I think I've seen it maybe four or five times at this point. Mm. And um, I never get bored of it. And I always sort of find new things. So I, I awesome. do think that maybe giving it another chance at some point in the future wouldn't hurt you but you know you do you sam whatever i'm very easily hurt and i think <laughs> i need to like english films more to like this film more that's the mm. bottom line and that's not gonna happen anytime soon i don't think because it's all complete horseshit yeah i just love the idea that these old gods are still out there i mean we've, we've seen this stuff like explored a little bit in different types of media like in say american gods by neil gaiman and mm. obviously there's a big folk horror resurgence out at the uh, going around at the moment which mm. is maybe on a bit of a, a bit of a low ebb at the moment but it's been 
the last few years have been a very folk horror centric thing. And I like the idea of, of old gods in modern contexts, uh, which is why after I watched this yesterday, I watched Cue the Winged Serpent because obviously that's doing a, a similar thing with the Aztec, yeah. the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl. I, yeah, I think it's really good. I would give it eight puckers of my big worm butthole out of 11. Eight church worm puckers. Yeah. That's, pre- that's a pretty high rating. And I agree, that is one of my favourite things to explore in media is that idea of... Uh, I actually really like uh, religious horror generally. I really mm. like religion in movies. I think it's such an interesting and rich thematic rock bed to build on but when you when you start talking about you know it's why we love the fucking lillingtons right pyramids on the moon i'm in (laughs) like that that theme that that way of looking at the world and the idea of introducing something ancient and terrifying into into a modern context is is really really fun and that's the stuff that i love about this movie a few little tweaks and it would be right on my street yeah i think that the idea of like a period piece where pagan gods a, a, a real and they're butting up against like the the burgeoning christianity there's there's some mm. value in that but i think Ooh. the idea that we're in a modern setting yeah and christianity is completely different now to what it was mm. when when people were believing that these miracles were happening and stuff yeah christians don't really believe in the the sort of metaphysicality of, of god and all this stuff it's just like it's an abstract yeah. notion really or sure. like Maybe not to some people, but to the to a lot of people within the church, especially like, to the people in this movie. Like, yeah. yeah, like the idea that it's not a physical being; it's it's an mm. abstract representation of, of 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 goodness and and your faith or whatever. I just mm. think that's that's a really cool way of being like your thing isn't real; their thing was a tree. Trees are real. Yeah. Tree beats God. The end. Like that's. Did you rock, paper, scissor religion with trees? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and what? I mean, it's unfuckwithable logic. I, I, what I love also, and maybe maybe this is just a tiny bit of where the love-hate of this movie comes in. I, I want to say that I would like it more if at least one character was an expert or a, a serious scholar of maybe pagan gods, just to add a little bit of that team's side of things do you know what i mean maybe yeah. but I, i'm not gonna go hard on that because i'm not sure if it's true but what i love is the idea of like a dormant god or a, uh you know an, an ancient kind of deity of some kind that has been sleeping and then is slowly awakened or comes you know vengefully awake i love that and i also love the idea in the in the, in the old pagan way of looking at um, gods that there are multitudes of gods and they all do different stuff and they all have these different personalities and they're all appeased by different rituals. They're all angered by different behavior. I think that's such, such creatively rich soil to grow mad shit in a modern context from. Yeah. You, know, you just pick or make up an ancient god. No one's going to fucking know. <laughs> Go nuts with it. And that's why I love the the central evil of this movie is it has no name. You no idea what it looks like, no idea what it's capable of. All you know is it's appeased by eating orphan children and that it loves devouring people in the bowels of its cobblestony guts. That yeah. is so sick. There's such an amazing idea. And that kept me awake at night, if if not, you know, the other bits. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see what you guys think out there. Are you team Sam? 
team me or are you a mysterious third team that has your own opinions? <laughs> Impossible. How could anyone? <laughs> I think we're pretty close in opinions here. I don't think we're a million miles apart. It's taste, really. Like, we both think the same things about this movie. It's yeah. just one of us liked chunks of it and one of us didn't. Yeah, I was worried when you sort of, we were playing um, Xbox the other day and you were saying that, like, do you think we're going to align on this movie? And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that means you fucking hate it. I, but, to be honest, when after I finished hate, after I finished hating it, after I finished watching it, I walked away and I was like, "What the fuck am I going to say about this that's even remotely positive?" And it did take a little while to slow burn a little positivity. Well, I think because, because the it's because the ideas, yeah, I think the ideas are so strong that yeah. maybe if you if you do bristle at those performances or yeah, like the the sort of what what someone might describe as like fairly bog standard like found footage church horror. For the mm. first half, at least, like mm. if you do bristle at that, but once you sort of sit with it and you think about it, and you—that's why I think a second watch wouldn't hurt because, like, mm. once you've sort of you've already linked a load of those breadcrumbs, you can sort of feel it more rather than like be like, okay, well, why am I sitting here while Gray's rolling a cigarette and? Talking to his homeboy, the farmer, about homeboy the farmer, yeah. <laughs> like I think that that stuff is is genuinely funny. I think Gray is, is a funny. really funny character. That that is a funny line, absolutely. Uh, just I hanging just with my homeboy. Me, the 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 movie ruins the idea, and that's why I'm not going to watch it again. But I yeah, I do think that was funny. You know, there is a lot of comedy in this, and it it goes kind of close to like buddy movie comedy at times, which yeah. I think totally has its place in a film like this. You can't have an English movie in 2013 without that kind of banter and without a little bit of like insubordination and like deliberate undermining, that kind of thing. So I think all of that works. I love it when Deacon decks that kid. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like comedy and horror together, but I like them separately when they're together. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I mean, I, I like Brain Dead, Dead Alive and Evil mm. Dead 2 and like when where the horror is funny. Yeah. It's not scary then because it's undermined by the funniness of it. So if you want it to be scary, you've got to keep the comedy and the horror pretty separate. And I think they do a good job in this. Yeah, it's, it, the humour doesn't feel strained at all. It feels some, it's some of the most real interactions are when one of them's being funny. Yeah. So anyway, tell us what you think. Obviously, drop, a, drop us an email at finaltransmissionpod at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a, a message or whatever on, on our social media. That's at FT Horror Show across basically all the platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Pull out your phone, like and uh, review this episode on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Do Five it. stars, big tits, and, you, and you're off. If this episode got your dick racing, we want to hear from you. That's what we're saying. If it, yeah. got, if it, if it got it racing towards the finish line, great. If it got it racing backwards and you're angry, fine. Either way, let us know. Because this feels like a polarizing movie. I had not, until I was doing research to, to discuss this with you today, I had mm. not seen anybody talk negatively about this movie at all. And One then, this guy. And then obviously, I, I read some Reddit threads oh, where, right. where negativity is rife. And yeah, people have opinions and that's that's okay i suppose would if you were going to get a sorry final point before we bail would if you were going to get a borderlands tattoo what would it be um i think the the wall painting of like the big 
giant crocodile god or whatever it is feeding mm. babies into the hill. Yeah. It's pretty fucking gnarly. That's very cool. Maybe a burning sheep. Burning sheep would be so dark. Why don't you just get a full-on portrait realism back piece of Grey <laughs> Robin Hill? I feel like the worse the tattoo you get, the cheaper it should be. Uh, that is generally the way it goes. Well, I mean, like, the, the, the stupider and more invasive. Oh, the dumber the cheaper it should be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Man, whew, I could afford all the tattoos I want if that was the case. What about you? What's what's your final prayer tattoo? Father Krellick smashed to bits on the floor. I'd take some liberties with the gore, I think. Would you make it, like, visceral? Who Who's doing this tattoo? You are. All right. It's going to be shit. Sorry, mate. Tune in next week to Final Transmission where we live stream Jamie tattooing a dead priest with his head exploded on a tomb on my chest. Ah!